um, <clears throat> jealous of the, the early church. Of course, until they started getting killed, and then I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm okay to be here. <clears throat> In the early church, um, <clears throat> they did what we are doing today every day. They gathered the, to hear God's word. They gathered to worship him. But there was a reason that they did it. And see, we've been in this collection of asking ourselves, why worship? Because many people may think, or some people may think, I'm not sure I get it. You know, we just kind of come together, we sing some songs. Of course, it's deeper than that. Some might say, I'm not really into worship. And I would understand that. For many years, I didn't, wasn't quite into it either. But everything that we do, it becomes more meaningful when we understand the why. In fact, the why becomes the driver of many things that we do. For example, there are times where I'll sit across the table from a young husband and he uh, maybe is challenged of why he needs to go and get a job and thinking, well, I need to make a paycheck. I'm like, oh, no, it's, it's more than that. You see, you're going to bring a level of a sense of security to your new wife when you're out there and you're making a living so that she's not home or at her job wringing her hands, wondering how the mortgage payment is going to be made. You see, marriage is a picture of the church, Christ and his bridegroom. And see, as the bridegroom... Uh, we have security in Christ and we bring that. And so as a, a young husband, that's your job to picture Christ and bring security. You see it, You see how much higher that is than just making a paycheck? I'm like, oh, wow, I never saw that. I never understood the depth of that. And um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get a job. You know, you wish it always ends that way, but it doesn't. But, <laughs> but you see, the why becomes the driver. Now, we've spent seven weeks, we're at the tail end of this collection. We've taken one letter of the word worship and kind of focused on that. Each week we've used this as an acronym. We started with worthy, God is worthy. We moved to order that God is of the highest order. That Those two alone should cause us to want to worship because of who God is. But it involves our romance and that is a, a sense in us that uh, worship is about our expression of deep love. It's a, it, we looked at a, the word uh, saved of those on the planet earth. We of all people who know Christ, whose lives have been changed and transformed. Of all people, we should be ones who worship and be thankful on our face for what God has done for us. We looked at the word H or the letter H for higher that God is mysterious. And because we serve a mysterious God, we ought to fall down and just worship him because there's so much about him we don't know. And last week we looked at that we are created intrinsically to be worshipers. And today we end with, I believe, a different type of approach to this why. Now, the statistics are in, by the way, from Super Bowl 47. Uh, just happened just uh, a few weeks ago. Raven fans, we have them. Yes. Humbly asked. 49er fans. Chickens. <laughs> Did I hear one? Oh, yes, I see one out there. Right. Now, when you think about the Super Bowl, isn't it amazing the attraction that it brings? Now, I, I was looking at the statistics that came in. The cheapest ticket you could buy for the Super Bowl was $2,045. Now, that's in a section, of course, the players are going to look this tall on the other end of the field. Now, as it got closer to the event, to the Super Bowl that week, I guess all the seats weren't filling up. I can't imagine why. Um, and the tickets started to go on sale, and they dropped to sixteen hundred bucks. I mean, what a steal, right? Now the highest ticket you could actually well, if you want to sit on a forty yard line, by the way, ten thousand, ten thousand bucks. Now for that ticket, I, I could be driving something for the next decade, right? So, but if you wanted a box, 
you know, the box up there where they have, you know, um, shrimp and, and uh, you know, all the stuff that's probably frozen, but you, you feel like it's fancy because you're there. Um, just a mere $400,000. I'm like, do you get to live there or anything like for like, uh, like two decades with the 400000 there? No, that's just one three-hour game. Now, it's not only, well, think about this for a second. Think of all the ticket prices. This year, the Super Bowl was in the Superdome in New Orleans, and the, in, the, in the Superdome, uh, that structure has 76,468 76, seats. Do the math if you can. Just think about the ticket sales. But it's not just there. It ripples out into the retail. So retailers, of course, the Super Bowl is great. For example, this Super Bowl, Super Bowl 40,000... Uh, 40, uh, <laughs> Just thinking of a ticket. My whole family on the 40-yard line. No. Um, <laughs> great news. I got tickets for the Super Bowl. Bad news. We have no more savings. But it's going to be a great three hours. So, um, so uh, in the retail, uh, would you th- think about this? Seven and a half million people bought new TVs because of the Super Bowl. How about that? Four million people went out and purchased new furniture because of the Super Bowl. Ten million ate in restaurants. Another ten million bought, you know, paraphernalia and apparel and all that. All that, the three-hour game, all of that totaled roughly, of course, came to $12.7 billion. Now, not only that, the people spend a lot of money on it. Hey, I watched the game. It was a great game, right? I mean, I bought my entire house. I reloaded it with new furniture. I'm just kidding. My wife didn't buy into it. It's a Super Bowl. We need a new bedroom set. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, uh, see, I feel like if I say it publicly, I can reinforce it privately. It just doesn't work. So... Um, it's not only that, but, you know, fans go nuts for these things. I brought some pictures for you. Here's a 49ers fan. That, uh, there you go. That's actually Chip Parmalee. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I don't know what this is about. I thought the 49ers weren't about, like, the gold diggers. I, don't, I didn't know who this guy is. Anyway, here's, here's a raven. Now, that looks like a raven right there. Uh, yeah, ravens typically have long hair. You probably didn't know that. Um, 49ers fan, another superhero. I'm not sure what that's about. Yep. And uh, here are three guys for the Ravens. I mean, just think of what would motivate you to even paint. I can't even imagine. I don't like suntan lotion. I can't imagine that stuff. At any rate. And then um, I bet you haven't seen this one. Here's the Elvis fan right here. Now, I'm thinking a caption would be for, his, for the boy next to him, like, yes, that is my father. Uh, <laughs> Now, some people get very serious as fans. Uh, how about that one? Oh, come on. See, I'm thinking about this guy after the game, and he's walking to his car when they've lost, and he's got, I'm like, why? Why did I do for it? How can I change 49 to Raven somewhere on my lip? And, of course, some fan costumes, it's hard to know where to put your cell phone. You know what I'm talking about? I mean... <laughs> Honestly, that didn't, that just didn't come with a, yeah, let's take it off the screen, honestly, right now. When you think about why is it that this, this event, this three-hour event draws so much attention, so much money spent, crazy people dressing like crazy people, I mean, just all, why is that? I'm going to propose something. You can feel it coming, Right? tangibility. Now, you're thinking, that's probably not what I was thinking. But let me, let me play it out a little bit. How many people in this room know how to play cricket? You know, the British game, cricket? Nobody. Perfect. All right. Because if I said to you, all right, this afternoon, we're going to meet up at the stadium there at uh, 17th and, you know, uh, Beneva 17th. What's it called? Ed Smith. Thank you. Ed Smith Stadium, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to gather for the concept of cricket. Now, there will be no players, no hot dogs, no Cokes, nothing like that. There'll be no equipment, no scoreboard, nothing. We're just going to talk about the concept of cricket. How many of you, show of hands, be honest, I can take it, are showing up this afternoon? 
And you call yourself friends. Really? Of course you're not. Nobody is showing up for that. Because, see, the, the Super Bowl has real players and real commercials. By the way, they spent a quarter of a billion on commercials this year. Real commercials, real turf, real crowds, real noise, real band, real music during the half. The, no, I guess not. That was lip synced. Um, sorry. <laughs> Everything is real except the halftime show. Oh, it's all real. See, if it weren't real, if it was conceptual, who would show up? It's because it's touchable, viewable, hearable, all those things. If it weren't, trust me, nobody's showing up for the concept of football in a stadium. Are you with me? In the spiritual world, we speak a lot about concepts. In fact, this entire collection is about concepts. The concept and the reality that God is worthy but you see, that's hard to touch, is it not? I mean, there's no worthy meter that we can look at and say, yep, mm-hmm, got it. Intrinsically created to worship. Okay, I kind of sensed that. I know what you mean. God is at the highest of order, the top rung of the ladder. Okay, I, I get that here, but I can't see him. I, I wish just for a flash... We could see all the things of the earth and the heavens and the third heaven, and we could see God and like just for five seconds. If we go like, oh, 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 okay, I got it because I saw it. But so much of our faith has to be by, by faith. It's conceptual, except today. See, I think if you look at our faith, we all need moments of tangibility. You see, our faith, our spiritual life cannot live on concept alone. We need something that we can touch and see so that we can hold on to it. And if you've ever had those moments where you think, man, I must be weak in faith, I would propose to you that you're not. You're human, and humans are built in such a way that we touch and feel and hear and see and all those things. And I would also propose to you that God gets it. He gets who we are. He said many times, I understand your frame. I understand your wiring. I know how you're made. For example, Moses is called on the back, from the backside of the desert, living a happy life as a fugitive, minding his own business. When God comes along and says, I'm calling you to face off with the most menacing leader in the country in which you live. One of the most demoralizing experiences your people have had. And I'm going to ask you to lead millions of people out. If you're Moses, you're like, okay, I, I get the concept. I, I, I understand why you would do it. I definitely don't understand why you've picked me. But you're going to have to give me something so that I can just have just a little bit of touch, a little bit of flavor, a little bit of viewability. So in Exodus chapter 4, Moses asks, he says, well, you're asking me to go to the people and to these leaders but what if they do not believe me or listen to me or, this, or say, the Lord did not actually appear to you? It's all in your head because all you're giving to us is a concept. And God said to him, okay, I got it. Tell me then, Moses, what is that in your hand that you're touching, that you're holding? You see, aren't you glad? You should actually be thrilled that we don't have a, a, a God that says, oh, you want something? Do you want me to show you something? Tough. Have faith. Step up. My concept is enough for you. Man, I'm thankful God is not that way. He said, Moses, I get it. You've been on the backside. I'm asking you to take front and center. You've got to go and you've got to do this thing. It's going to be tough. Your heart rate is probably up. Your mouth is dry. Your hands are sweaty. You don't know what to say. Now all of a sudden you're stuttering. You're making excuses. You want your brother to come in. Get the whole deal. What's that in your hand, son? Okay. Throw it on the ground. So he takes his staff because what it was in his hand was staff. Takes his staff. The thing turns into a snake. He jumps back. He goes, all right. 
That's what I needed. I mean, that would be enough for me, right? For you? You see, Gideon comes along. And, he's, and God says to him, Gideon, mighty warrior. He's like, are you talking to me? He said, yes, son. You see the Midianites, your enemies, try to count them. You can't. They're beyond number. Gideon says, I'm, I'm going to need a sign. I'm going to need a little tangibility on that. I get the concept. Fine. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set out a, a, a skin of an animal, a fleece. And, and God, I'm asking you in the morning, dew on one side and dry on the other. And we'll flip-flop it. I just need something. And God didn't say, tough, son. I called you. Step up. No, I get it. Let me, I'll do that for you. He said, okay, thank you. I, I, I'm okay with that. Hezekiah, another man of God. He, in, in the book of Isaiah, he's on his deathbed or so he thinks. He said, God, I've served you all my life. This seems premature. Please give me my life. God said, okay, concept. I'll, I'll heal you. He said, I need a sign. Even though God said to him directly, I'll heal you. Okay, but I still need a sign. Fine. You, you remember Moses with the, 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 the stick, the staff turned into a snake? Pretty cool, right? I, I'm charge over all that stuff. You remember Gideon, the fleas, the dew and all that? Pretty cool, right? Watch this. I'm going to move the sun backwards for you, Hezekiah. Watch the shadows. And you know, as the day increased, they're going like this. And then God takes the sun and goes, I'm not sure exactly how it happened that way. Maybe. And he watched the shadows as they were coming late in the day. Whoop. Go like that. Thank you, God, for tangibility. You see, we're not alone. When we need something tangible from God. How about after the resurrection when Jesus had been raised from the dead and others had seen him first and they come running back and they say, he's alive. I mean, he's alive. I mean, let's say Mike dies in the last week and all of a sudden somebody comes and says, hey, he's, he's back. I'm like, okay, I want to believe it. I got the concept of, of that happened in the Bible. But I got to give Mike a handshake. And then when I want to get him a handshake, I'll be good. Wouldn't you be that way? We often blame Thomas as weak in faith. No, he's human. We need tangibility. John chapter 20, the other disciples came and told Thomas, we've seen the Lord after he's been dead three days. But he said to them, Thomas said, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his sides, I'm not buying in. I'm not believing it. I'm not getting it. I need tangibility. You know, there is, a, um, there is a, uh, uh, an old saying, and I'm sure that you've heard it because we've overused it as Christians. Wise men still seek him. Have you? Okay, so uh, can we agree we've overused that? Let's move on to something new. How about this one? Regular people need reality. Whether we're f- Christians or we're non-Christians, we need a sense of something real that's tangible. And in a culture where in faith life, Christianity, let's take, because that's who we are, it can become such a way that people on the outside saying, I get your concepts, I do. Some people don't even buy the concepts, but I need to see something real. We need tangibility. I would say that we... um, don't even uh, just need it. We're desperate for it. You know, when something goes wrong with your body and there's something happening and you're like, ah, they can't figure out what it is. You know that miserable feeling? You're like, man, if they... And then they discover maybe it's your gallbladder. And even though you're not happy that it's your gallbladder, you're happy that at least they know that it's your gallbladder. You know what I mean? It's that unknown. Now we, it's that... Uh, you, you just don't know what's happening. So um, a, a couple of weeks ago... My son, my oldest son is nine years old. I've got this little car. Oh, gosh, I don't know how many years old it is now, 16, 17 years old, and um, still runs, so that's my criteria. It gets me from point A to point B. And so uh, because of his age, never, I've never let him ride in the front seat. So home from church a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, it's a short drive, just a few week, uh, just a few blocks. You want to ride in the front seat? Thrilled, right? The front seat with dad. So it was a little hot outside, so I'm like, hey, let's cut the air on. I cut the air on, and, and you know that button for recycling? Well, you know a kid in the front seat, they're just going to start punching buttons. They don't even know what it is. So he hit the, he hit the, the recycling uh, air, you know, where you're getting out from the inside or whatever it is. And so he hit that button, and all of a sudden, I heard this noise. Of, 
I mean, just oh, it's just because he hit this button. I'm like, oh, oh, and then I smelled this burning smell. And and then from the um, from the vent, you know, underneath the dashboard, these chunks of acorns were like shooting out. And I could see him. He turned pale. Like my first time. Is this what happens in the front? I'm good in the back. And so I'm, I'm like, well, let's let's test it out. You know, every time I'd go over the button, I'm like. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, ah, man, what is wrong? I'm, and it's just that this has never happened. I've had cars since I was 16. I've never had acorn chunks come out of the, you know, the blower thing. So, so I take it to the mechanic, and I'm like, ah, man, this is going to cost me a lot. Thankfully, it didn't. A squirrel had been living in my car. <laughs> So, of course, i got to ask the guy, have you ever had anybody come into your shop that has had it? Nope, never have. Okay, just got to know. I mean, I, you know, this is gross, but there have been times I have cut on the air. I'm like, smells funny. So I'll leave it at that. You know, human beings don't like unknowns, right? I'm like, I want to know, even though it's weird I found a squirrel's in my vehicle, at least I know what it is. So I would say that not only we need it, but we're starved to find out what it is, to find out reality. So, for example, let me, you know, the shepherds, when they were, uh, they were told and that, uh, man, God is going to become tangible. You see, this is what I love about Jesus Christ. You remember he made this bold statement which ticked off the religious people. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You wanted to know what God was like, how he reacted, who he was willing to touch, who he was willing to sit down to lunch with, what his real interior was like. You've seen him. Wow. Thank you, God, for being tangible and on earth. So when this was about to happen and the shepherds who were out in the fields were visited by the angels, oh, God's about to become tangible. They ran, you see, they ran in Luke chapter 2. When the angels left these shepherds and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing. We've got to have some proof that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So watch. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger resurrection. Christ is alive. News is getting out. Luke 24. But the women came back and said, the tomb's empty. But the disciples in Luke 24, 11, they did not believe the women because their words, like the rest of the world, seemed to them like nonsense. You see, the concepts that are so, in, that so endearing to us, to the world are nonsense. We're told that in the scripture. Really? A boat with all the animal kingdom, two by two, and that included the mosquitoes, and it rained a lot? Really? Yes. Yes. But see, we can't expect the world to buy in to that until they see something real. You see, God is alive. Peter, however, he got up, Luke 24, and he ran to the tomb. I'm desperate. I can't just deal with the concept of Christ being risen after he's been dead and gone in a cave for three days. I got to run to it. I'm starving for tangibility. And so is everyone else. Acts chapter 2, something amazing was happening. The Holy Spirit was coming like a train, mighty rush of wind. People were speaking in other languages. In verse 5, Acts 2, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the Holy Spirit moving in, a crowd came together, ran together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Yes, wise men do seek him. Regular people are starved for reality. Most people 
want to see God. Most people want to see evidence of God. Most people want to see evidence beyond the concepts that we're so willing to tell them. They need to see a reality. I think people not only need tangibility, they're starving for tangibility, but watch, they respond when they see something real. Don't you? Don't you respond if I said, hey, man, I'm going to give you, uh, hey, Dean, I'm going to give you 10 bucks. You're like, all right. If I pull out a $10 bill, you're like, whoa, that's a whole lot different. If I said I'm going to give you $1,000, you're like, no, you're not, right? And I won't. So that's, you know, you, you <laughs> People responded when Moses threw that staff down and turned, huh? Of course he did. When Gideon felt the dew on that fleet, wow, right? I f- he was willing to face off a formidable army. He responded to it. When the shepherds saw Christ in Luke 2, verse 20, the shepherds returned after seeing the baby Jesus, glorifying and praising God for all the things, here it is, they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thomas, i got to touch him before I believe it. John 20, 27, Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out my hand, reach out your hand, put it in my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, oh, my Lord and my God. Why do we worship? I'll tell you. We worship as a community when we start seeing God in a tangible way. We start worshiping, it causes us to worship. We're like, wow, my Lord and my God, I'm seeing something over there. And so you may be asking, okay, what is it, right? What is is it that we would see? Well, let me illustrate something here. I'm going to do a a magic trick here at 360. Someone said, yes, right, magic trick. All right, so I asked my wife this morning, can you find a deck of cards? She found a deck of cards. All right, can I have a volunteer, a volunteer, anybody? Okay, I'm going to pick you. Have I ever met you before in, your, in my life? No, I haven't. Thank you, Tiana. All right. Now, here's this deck of cards. Just pulled it out of the deck, right, face down. Now, I want you, don't tell me, I want you to pick uh, a card in your mind uh, and just pick. Now, this might take 52 tries before I get it right, but... All right, pick one. You've got one in your mind? Excellent. Okay. All right, here we go. What was the old show going? I'm going to go... Um, seven... Spe- uh, no, let's see. What is it? What is it? No. I just said it. I just said it. All right. You've got to pick another one. All right. I'll let you... You pick another one. All right. Okay. Okay, you pick one. I'm going to shuffle them all around, okay? You got it? You got it? All right, here we go. Here we go. I haven't done really a lot of experience in magic tricks. Okay. Pick a card. You got it? What is it? Ace of hearts. Okay, ace of hearts. I shuffled the deck, right? Are you ready? Are you scared for me? Are you nervous? Like, I could make a fool of himself. No, he does it every week. Don't worry about it. Here we go. Ace of hearts. Ready? (laughs) Now, what's your next question? How'd you do it? Right? That's your next question. You know how I did it? Are you ready? I showed it to her. Some of you are like, no, you didn't. No, I actually showed it to her. Now, before, I had asked Tiana, when I ask you what card, you say seven of spades. The reason I blew it is I said it first. I am a moron. That's not how you do the trick. What I'm about to say here, I understand I'm walking on thin ice. But you know, I think we have to sometimes. Whenever you see a magic trick, aren't you just trying to figure out how they do it? Because you know it's not really magic. You know you're looking, right? You're looking, and then uh, you, you ask them to do it again so you can look closer and see how they do it. 
There are things in our Christian faith that have lost their tangibility appeal because there have been too many fakes in the system. I would beg you not to put your assurance in me. I am a human being. How many churches have seen a leader fall and then people are like, I'm out? Because, see, they put their faith in a person. Don't do it. I'm human. Everything's good but <laughs> right now, but I'm human. I believe, so you understand, so I frame it, that the Holy Spirit is still at work in this world doing miracles, doing healings, the, the gifts of the Spirit operating through people. You know, some people would believe that the, all that ended at the book of Acts. I don't believe that. I believe the, that God is the same today, tomorrow. He, he can't change. It's not like He won't change. He can't change. The power of His Holy Spirit can't change. But having said that, unfortunately, there has been so much frou-frou surrounding that that for people in our culture, it's hard to buy into. If I say to you, God gave me an audible last night, and here's what it is, because that's been used and overused and abused, it's lost its tangibility regardless if he has or hasn't. You understand where I'm coming from? There have been too many fake miracles. Unfortunately, they've blown the branding, so to speak. They've blown the image with the power of the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, those of us that spend a lot of time studying the Word of God, there is a potential of danger because the Scripture tells us that knowledge has the potential of creating arrogance. Knowledge puffs up. That's the Christian biblical language. But it has the potential of creating arrogance in, in those of us that study a lot of the Word of God. And when we are arrogant, people can smell it a mile away, and it's anything but tangible image of the living, compassionate, humble God who put himself on a cross. I invite you that if you sniff an arrogant sense from me, I invite my left cheek is open for you to go, whap! <laughs> we keep each other in line. I've known too many people who've known the Bible really well. And on my inside, I'm like, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with them. We do nice things and we think, well, that's tangible. Wasn't it St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words, and we've clinged on to that. And I believe that it is important for us to do nice things and to do things of ministry and to reach out. I do. Just as much as I believe that we should study the Word of God and be in tune with the, the Spirit of God and all those things. But may I remind us when we do our nice things that organizations like GAP and the Bill Gates of the world and the Donald Trumps of the world, they also give a lot of money. So we're not going to be distinctively tangible when we go out and do altruistic things. Does that make sense? Nothing wrong with them. It's just that the point is how can we be distinctively tangible and different? And there's something. You see, because... There were people in scriptures who knew the Bible. They were called Pharisees. People around them wanted to be anything but that. So what they knew the Bible? Who cared? Because they didn't give tangible reality of who God was. There was a man in Acts chapter 8. His name was Simon, not Simon Peter. Peter. Simon, he did the sorcerer. He did amazing miracles, but no tangible evidence of God in his life. So you've got to be asking so what is it? What is that tangible thing? Here it is. A thing that is so tangible and undeniable. Here's what I'd propose to you that it is. 
life transformation. You see, when people see a life change, most people don't fake a life change. Most people don't want a life change. So when you have a true, authentic life change, people are like, wow, I, I, I know your concepts. I get all that. So the Apostle Paul, for example, murdered Christians. The guy had a, a rap sheet. His, his mug was in the post office. Party to murdering Christians. But Christ came and changed his life and that transformation was undeniably tangible. They introduced him to others and they were like, here's what they said in Acts chapter 9, all those who heard Paul were astonished. And they asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on Jesus' name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul, Paul, that was his former name, grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving, not by this wonderful teaching, but by proving the life change. You see, it took me 20-some years to come to Christ. I lived my own life. I was a musician. I was in rock bands. I did, did all, the, you know, all that you can imagine. And uh, I was studying music in Boston. Many of you know my story. And God changed me. Now, I was undiscerning and overzealous, as many new Christians are. As I've said, tell the story, I had a, a Jewish piano teacher, poor man. He heard more about Jesus in 12 months than he probably has all his entire life. I wasn't... I wasn't uh, uh, easy with it. I wasn't socially acceptable with it. I didn't try to, you know, how we are as Christians, try to, you know, slip it into the conversation. Nope, flat out. Steve, what are you playing today? I'm going to go with Beethoven, Opus 27, number three, third movement. Now, you know about Jesus, like what we were talking about. I mean, I just slapped right into it. When I came to Christ, I wrote my story on a piece of paper and I put it in every single mail slot of every student's mailbox in a conservatory where Christ, trust me, is, wasn't Lord. And I was so excited. I'm like, oh, when people hear my story, because I know they have never heard about Jesus before, because that's what you're thinking when you first come to Christ. Man, they're going to read my little pamphlet I put in their mailbox and their life is going to be changed. Nope, I stood there that afternoon, and I, I'm standing in the mailroom, just not saying anything. A lot of people are coming in. They're taking these little things out of their mailbox, and they're like, what the, you know, what is this? And I saw them throw it on the floor, and there were, just, there were a lot of my little pamphlets on the floor. You don't think that diminished my zeal. After they left, I put them right back in the same mailbox. <laughs> I was the guy with a Mr. Mike on the corner with a brown bag of Bibles giving them out, saying things that turned most people off. Because I had experienced life change. Nobody was impacted by all that I was doing. Nobody. You know who was changed? You know who was impacted? my family. You see, they knew me before and they knew they saw me after. So I called my mom on the phone. She's sitting right here. Hey mom. Now she knows that I'm not interested in God. You know, grew up in church, but she knows I, you know, the, the, the jig was up three years. I was been lying for three years. I'd been gone to going to church. It wasn't really going. I was lying to my mother. Um, it's the first time I've told you that. I'm really sorry. No, I'm just kidding. No, she knew. She knew I was lying. I call her on the phone from Boston to Virginia. Hey, Mom, I've given my heart to Jesus. Mom, she thought I had lost it, that I had become a nutcase. She thought I had joined a cult. Am I right? Now, do not be fooled. By the Southern Belle sweetness of my mother. 
when it comes to her boys, oh, there's a fire. So my mom bought a plane ticket and she flew up to Boston to make sure. Now, I grew up in a very formal church, candles, robes, and all that. And, you know, this was a, you know, hey, come to Christ. And that was a whole new language, right? She gets off the plane. And unfortunately for her, she comes to my church. It's a small church, very multi-ethnic. There are people from India and, and uh, Barbados and uh, the islands. I mean, it was just a wonderful mix because you're living in a big city. And it was old school, man. I mean, they were like, had the handkerchiefs out. Woo! Glory to God. There's my mom like, yes, he is a nut. (laughs) But she couldn't deny the tangible life change, could you? Now that week... One of my favorite stories of my entire life. Billy Graham happened to be in Boston. I said, Mom, won't you go with me? And I walked up the aisle with my mom as she committed her life to Christ. You see, it wasn't a pamphlet. It wasn't a Bible on the street corner, a Mr. Microphone. It wasn't a concept. I've seen a change. It's undeniable. Now, watch. Often in the Christian community, we try to get the worship service. Man, how can we make it better, right? I thank God for our worship pastor. He's not here. He had to leave because he texted me this morning. I am so sick today, I can barely stand up. And yet he was here. He asked, Steve, do I have your permission to leave after I do worship the second service? I'm like, are you about to throw up? Yes, please. (laughs) But see, behind the scenes, we have a guy who's authentic. I will tell you that because I work with him. A guy that's not into the flash Not after the latest new song, even though we can't sing it because it's got so many words, but everybody else is singing it. But trying to get authentic, real worship. But he understands a concept that we often miss because for 10 years, I led a church environment where we had to have the dramas and the skits and the films and the right lights and the staging and all that stuff because it made it better so people would get excited. And I missed the very thing, me, I missed the very thing that creates excitement in people. The, the, the Thomas confession, my Lord and my God, missed it. It was tangibility. See, we try to work from the top down and it works from the bottom up. Here's what I mean by that. When lives are being changed, yesterday we ended our long track, our four or five week track of meeting with every single leader one-to-one in this church, our vision team. Where are you at? Tell us what's happening. They would lean over the table when they began to talk about the life change that's happening in their ad group. You see, that's where it happens. It's not going to happen a lot in this big circle. When people come together, it's not a Bible study uh, only. It's not a program. It's relationships building and deepening. And when they lean over the table and say, oh, let me tell you what's happening in our group. So-and-so got with so-and-so. And man, we're seeing a life change. It is the my Lord and my God moment. When you see that kind of change happening down here, it bubbles up. Two guys getting together, their lives are changed. It bubbles up so that when we come together, whoo, we're worshiping. Make sense? We've tried to do it the other way. How can we make our worship scintillating? It doesn't work that way. I I would prove that by the early church. We end with this. Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together. Verse 44. And had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread together in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And for that reason, they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers who were being saved. See, when it starts to happen 
And you see relationship changes. Now watch, it's just happening. But when you see something happen, the word for today is partnership. You start to sense a partnership in relationships and people start to, to get excited about it. Now, if you're not quite catching it, I brought a small film of a college golf team and they're trying this little feat. They've taken the cup out of the, the, the green so that more golf balls can get in. But I want you to watch their partnership, but mainly their reaction to what happens when people are in partnership. Watch this. It's 20 seconds long. Three, two, one. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did it again for you. Just one. You see, when life change is happening, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. oh, yeah, I told And you begin to see it in the community. Oh, it begins like that. We're just beginning to see it. If you're coming into 360, we feel like the engine is, the locomotive is just doing this. Wait till it's rampant and see what happens in this circle. Some of you may say, still say, okay, I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm going to be real transparent as we end today. Last Sunday, I spoke on Mary and Martha. I've, uh, I believe as a leader that you never ask your people to do what you're not willing to do. And so I build intentionally small circle relationships, one with a 30-something and one with somebody that's my age. The 30-something is still getting going. On Monday, I got a text from my 30-something small circle relationship. Steve, don't forget that becoming a Mary sitting also includes your family. Be careful this week. Be wise in what happens at home. Sunday afternoon, after I preached a message, I got a call from my other small circle friend. Can my wife and I meet with you and your wife? Well, sure. We'll come over. We spent three hours together, my wife and I, listening. You see, I love to work, it's a blessing and a curse. Those who work a lot sometimes make it sound so noble. But there's a price tag to everything. And men, particularly, I think, have a great way of justifying what we do. So on our day off, or I'm, I'm sitting at the dinner table, hey, uh, speaking to my son, hey, how was your day? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Who, who was that? Oh, cool. That's neat. Uh-huh. Oh, Oh, wait a minute. Hold it. I got a phone call. There are two things that are very physically close to me. My underwear and my laptop. (laughs) Don't you love transparency? I'm sitting with my family. It's a family of five. My two sons, my wife, myself, and my laptop. I often have my laptop with me. But see, in my male way of thinking, I'm there. The message from my small circle friend was like, no, you're not. Would you mind if I ask your wife if she thinks you're there? Oh, come on, man. You see, it's important for you to understand when I say small circle, It's not just, hey, man, how's it going? How was your week? It gets down to a level of reality. So on my day off, for the first time, as long as I can remember, I didn't even touch my phone. I didn't touch my laptop. And I knew as I came back on my day after, there were this many things in my inbox. But 
didn't touch it. I sat with my son for an hour and I played Legos. And that hour he thanked me 15 times for being with him. I mean, come on. Life change. It happens at the top, you know. It's got to. Every night, 6 o'clock, I made the commitment. I'm going to shut that laptop. Oh. <laughs> it goes something like that on the inside. So let me say to this, because people ask me all the time, as they do you, how was your week? Don't ask me. Ask my wife. <laughs> my Lord and my God. See? Wow, I've seen change. I've seen a difference. It's not a concept, it's not a miracle. It's not a claim. It's not a profession. It is reality. And people are starving to see it. Let's pray. God, thank you that this thing we call our faith is not a stunt. It's not a magic trick. It's reality. But we are the only ones on this planet, God, that can translate you to the rest of humanity. It will not be our claims, our concepts, our knowledge. It will be life change, partnership, with others in true small circle relationships that people can see and touch and hear and cannot deny. I pray, God, for this church that as, as excited as we are when we come together in this big circle on weekends, that the true power will come in the ad groups and in the relationships that are born from there. So that the reputation of this church represents the reputation of our God tangible reality of who you are. Oh God, let it be so. Let it be so. For Jesus, amen.